Hi everybody, welcome to episode 10 of the Camera Shake podcast. As you can see, we're not in lockdown anymore, so um, this isn't the podcast coming out of lockdown straight into your eardrums any longer, because uh, given the uh, most recent uh, easing of lockdown um, rules in the United Kingdom, we can now be in the same room together. So interesting enough, that was what we planned all along, wasn't it? It was indeed. And this is going to take a little bit of getting used to. Yeah. I'm used to looking at, uh, at my Mac screen and now I've got to look directly at you. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> not quite the same, not quite the same. This is far more enjoyable already. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff lined up for today. So that's, yeah. uh, that should be interesting. Um, but first, let's talk about what it took us to actually get to this point. Well, um, what's the time? Yeah, several hours <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. what it took. Um, it, was, it was good, man. I mean, um, we had some ideas of what we wanted to do with this, right, and how mm. we wanted it to look. And But we thought we'd just jump into the room and see what, see what kind of happens. So you probably recognize some of the items behind me here this looks you know it's very similar to what i've been filming behind hmm. um so you know what's this setup number four for today for us to probably work out? Yeah, something yeah. like that it's about the fourth <laughs> fourth one we've gone through um we like it you know so we've got three cameras set up we've got the main camera here that's on both of us and then we've got camera number two and camera number three right there Hello. <laughs> and um, above us, we've got my um, 300D um, with the light dome on, which is, mm. I, yeah, as we know, we love the light that this produces. Mm. Um, behind you, we've got a little accent light. Behind me, we've got a little accent light as well. And we just got our, our regular podcast type, type yeah. mics going on. It's awesome, man. Yeah. So really, it took us, like all in, it took us six months to get to this point, really, if you think about it. Yeah, I guess it did. You know, from oh, from God. the initial from the initial idea of starting a podcast to being forced to sort of start it in lockdown, mm -hmm. well, not being forced, but you know, it was, well, it was a good opportunity to actually get started with it, and then finding a sort of technical solution uh, to do it remotely mm -hmm. and have guests on the show also remotely, um, to now finally getting to the point where we sort of envisioned and envisioned. It to be from the very beginning, yeah. it's quite, you know, I think it's quite remarkable, really. It, it is, and I, I hadn't even realised it had been that long. Yeah, it's been at least six months. You know, the last 12 weeks or so that we've been, you know, actually getting these out has mm. flown by. Yeah, it's been it's been nuts. I mean, the fact that this is the 10th episode, I, you know, that's hard to believe, really. Yeah, it really, really, um, really is. And, you know, I, I think we'll hit 100 episodes before we know it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, next week. Somewhere, in the, yeah, somewhere in the future. That's, uh, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool, man. Glad you're here. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's 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 actually uh, interesting to sit opposite another human being. You know, although we did do a photo shoot um, last week True. Uh, together, which um, which was uh, which was kind of the first real life photo shoot mm. in three months. Mm -hmm. I think I'd done some work before uh, during lockdown, but that was sort of you know just me, myself, and I in a huge building or in a big site. Um, with no other people around. Oh, yeah. So last week's photo shoot was um, sort of a, a promotional campaign for um, instrumental lessons, if you want, um, where we had a number of different models, um, you know, using different instruments. Um, and that was actually, that felt good. That felt good being yeah. in a room with different people and actually, um, you know, going through the motions of, of what a more or less normal photo shoot would be like 
given that there were social distancing, you know, uh, social distancing was in place yeah. at the shoot, but you know, nevertheless, it kind of felt, felt good. It reminded me of um, why you do photography and videography in the first place. Right. You know, it's, yeah, yeah it's great to do things on your own. Um, yeah. And there are certain times where that's necessary and what you want to do. But really, you want to be doing it with someone else, other people, and yeah. you know, shooting those models or whoever it is, or the, whichever subject you're going yeah. on. It also reminded me why I'm not a landscape photographer, <laughs> <laughs> because I actually like photographing people. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. there's just something about that um, which I personally find really fun. I know a lot of people find um, you know value in like you know sitting in nature and waiting for something to happen, sure. like you know, wildlife photographers or something. Um, it's a really solitary, solitary kind of game, wildlife photography. You know, mm -hmm. where you just you wait, you sit in a hideout, and you wait forever for some I don't know a bird or something to come along. Um, and I, I think that's great if if that's what you're into, sort of thing. You know, mm -hmm. but for me personally, I I love shooting portraits um, because I like the whole the whole interaction with people. Yeah, and so you know, not not having been able to do that for for three months. Um, that I think was one of the toughest parts of the whole lockdown thing for me. And what worries me most about all of that is that you get so used to it, you start, you almost start not to miss it. <laughs> yeah. And it's only when you go back into it, you go, oh, God, I enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. This is fun. I mean, that day flew by. Yeah, it was. Absolutely flew Yeah, by. That, was, that was a whole day, like a full day shoot, and that mm. went like nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that was good. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it is things are easing up again um i think for now for now yeah you never know mm. never know where that's going yeah but right. at least for now to enjoy it while, while it lasts i think um and uh, yeah so i mean we had time to kind of change the location um come back to uh, to this place and uh, and set things up and i really quite enjoy it it's cool it's fun to yeah. the point where i'm i'm leaving this like this this, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be my you know one half of my living room now yeah. for, the, <laughs> for the foreseeable future <laughs> yeah but kids are going to be glad that i have their dining room back uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely that's a that's a plus point but you know who knows it could be a few weeks before we're having to do it remotely again yeah mm, we'll see yeah we'll see second wave and all that but let's not oh, think about that yeah and plus you know we're still planning on having lots of guests on um you know, and uh, there'll still be a lot of kind of remote interviewing going on. So, you know, it's sure. not, um, I think the fact that we've already done it for, for nine episodes, it kind of, you know, gives us a bit of a head start, really. So, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, true. So it's cool. There should be interesting, interesting things to come. Definitely. I should say. Definitely. I was trying to figure out which camera to look at. This is really quite as different from what I'm used to when it comes to podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what have we got to talk about today, Nick? Uh, well, first up, let's talk about the photography competition that we've got oh, going yeah. on at the moment. Um, the you know, by the time this airs, the deadline would have passed. That's right. Yeah. Right? So the deadline on was on the thirtieth of June, yeah. and from the submissions I've seen so far, and we've had more than I, was, I think I was expecting oh, way so more. far, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And I tell you what, some of them are quality. It's really quality photos. I can already see that being extremely hard yeah to uh to work out who the winner is going to be that's yeah. just it's impossible yeah like there's some really what is this, this there are quite a few really strong images there yeah there so. really are and even even those who have you know grabbed their iphone 
or, or whatever they've done, whatever camera, you know, cheap camera they've taken, they're yeah. still really good. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, so surprising. Yeah, it's really, it really is. Because um, you never know. It was the first competition we've run. You know, it may have, I don't know what I was expecting, actually. It may have been no entries. <laughs> Could easily have been that, right? But but actually, yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, remarkable. Um, so many different images. It's, yeah, it's going to be hard. I can't wait to see who, you know, we ultimately pick as, you know, the the winner and how, quite frankly, how we actually go about judging that as well. You know, it's because they're all very, very different. Yeah. yeah. Very completely different styles. Um, but I'm more excited about getting the person on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's uh, there's some some really strong images in there. That's, and it's going to be really interesting to find out um, how they were, how they were done, you yeah. know, how they were taken. Um because to be honest, with, with some of those images, I don't even know how you can get that close to an animal. So, <laughs> you know, and I never know. This is the one thing I never know about wildlife photography is, you know, whether something was taken in a zoo, for example, you know, or, or in the wild. Um, especially with, like, with close-ups of animals. I find it, you know, I, I have no idea. Um, since I'm not a wildlife photographer, I don't really know how, yeah. you know, how that really, yeah. how that really works. Um no, but you know that as an example, you know they both absolutely have their merits. And at the end of the day, if it's a quality photo of a sure. of a, a particular animal, then it's a quality photo of yeah. a particular animal. But I have to say, there's something um, slightly more special if that photo had been captured out in the wild than in a zoo, because um, yeah. the circumstances that you're surround taking that photo are just completely different. Yeah, true. And it's always interesting to to discover the circumstances that surround a photograph. Yeah. I mean, just uh, that's what I found really interesting about talking to or listening to photographers talking about their um, their photographs, because it puts context to the actual image. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing, you know, looking at an image and thinking, okay, well, you know, from a technical perspective uh, or from a compositional perspective, you know, this is really good or, you know, this is, you know, this could be better or whatever else. Um, but it's the context that you're missing there because... That's what that's what I feel sometimes when, um, when I listen to a judge judging a photography competition. That's just for me. Um, I always feel that the context of how that photo was created is is sort of missing. And if, mm. for me, that's a really important part of the experience. Um, so that's why I'm really looking forward to having you know the creator of the of mm-hmm. that winning photograph uh, on the podcast, so we can actually have a chat and you know talk yeah. about. Um, how to, uh, how how whatever, whichever photo wins, you know, it'd be interesting to talk about how that how that was made. Yeah. And when um, when are we going to have that the winner on? What's going to be what's our process from from now on? So the next uh, the next show is on the will come out on the sixth of Ju- July. Where are we? June, July. Yeah, sixth yeah. <laughs> of July. That's right. I think that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that's when we'll. Uh, that's when we'll announce who the who the winner is. Okay, and obviously we'll be getting in touch with the person beforehand, and we'll have them on the show. I guess is that what we're doing? Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? So we'll so we'll announce the winner in the next episode, mm. and then we'll have that person on in the following episode. Something like yeah. that. Cool, cool. That's good fun. Awesome. Okay, so what's what else is new in the world of photography? Um, let me think. So there's a couple of things I came up with, I noticed or read about the last week or so. Um, one was, you know, we, we talked a lot actually over the last few weeks here and there about 
Um, and we just talked about it a second ago as well, about people taking photos on their iPhones mm. um, or similar and how good those photos can actually be these days with the, the cameras and some of the yeah. tech, that, you know, the software that's behind, uh, behind it. And so I just picked up this article of um, the, these wedding photographers who actually, so there were three of them in total. Mm-hmm. Two of them shot the wedding as normal on their regular cameras. Were they at the same wedding? Or... Yeah, yeah, oh, right. all at the same wedding. Mm. So it's a dual kind of photographer setup. Mm. And they just shot the wedding as they would always do it. Mm. Um, but a third person shot the whole thing on an iPhone, oh. iPhone 11. Um, <laughs> okay. iPhone 11 Pro, I believe it was, because mm. got, that's got the additional the yeah. third camera on it. And so, um, so this article, they go into detail about you know what worked for them, mm. um, what didn't work so well. And they posted a, a bunch of photos that they took from it. And I have to say that there's varying levels of quality in them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put aside perhaps the editing style for a second, because mm. um, there's they're, they're very flat, they're not particularly stylistic. Okay. Um, let's just say it say it that way. But you know, if you look at your you know your, your typical kind of wedding wedding shots, you know your your, your close ups of. Mm. Um, the flowers, the rings, the invitations, the yeah. place, whatever it might be, all yeah. those typical shots that you yeah. expect to see. Uh, then you've got the typical group shots um, yeah. of the, the bride and her family. Uh, then you've got the bride and groom shots that you'll normally have. Mm. And then you've got all the candids that mm. generally happen throughout the course of course of the day. Um, the close-up shots looked great, mm-hmm. looked really, really good. The some of the close-up kind of bride and groom shots worked well, and some of the group photos worked well. Mm-hmm. But anything that was at more of a distance just felt. I thought that could have been shot on an iPhone six, right? Or, okay, you know, it just didn't have that level of quality for me. Mm. Um, if you saw the close-up shots and no one told you it was an iPhone shot, you would be hard pushed to go. That's clearly a phone. Mm. Some of the other shots, um, the more the more close up ones on on people, mm-hmm. again, you'd be hard pushed to go. That's definitely a phone. Yeah, but the others you can go. Yeah, it's a phone. Definitely right. a phone. So what they what they talk about is um, that the portrait mode on an iPhone. So for those of those of you who don't own an iPhone um, and don't have that mode, perhaps I'm not even sure if that, that is a feature on Android. It must be. Probably. <laughs> but if mm. it's not, um, it, it simply um, detects a face or the f- primary object mm. um, in the photo and then adds a, a bokeh in the, in the background. Okay, so it basically throws the, the background out of focus digitally yeah. or? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah absolutely. Uh, and it does it really well. It's a very specific looking mm. type of, um, are you a bokeh or a bokeh man? That's a very good question. Um, I should really think about that because I think I use both. Yeah, so do yeah. I. <laughs> bokeh, bokeh. And do, do you know why mm. I end, end up changing? Right. Is because I think people over in the UK generally say bokeh. Oh, really? Okay. Generally, generally. It's how I've noticed it anyway. Yeah. But because of most, most YouTubers and people like that are from America or right. Canada, they seem to say bokeh oh, okay. a lot more. And so yeah. you hear it and I, I just interchangeably use them now. Yeah, let me say this. <laughs> I'm never really sure. I don't think... is it? It's originally a Japanese word. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. apparently so. Bokeh! <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Bokeh! 
You sure that wasn't Bonsai? <laughs> Probably. Hack <laughs> 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 so, um, I kill you with my lens. <laughs> <laughs> Some fast anime action guy. Do you remember on. that game called, was it called Worms? Yeah. With the suicidal worms. Do you remember that game? Oh, that's right. Do you remember yeah, that one? God, yeah, from the <laughs> early 90s. <laughs> Hara Kitty! Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. Good game. Wicked game. Good game. PC oh, yeah. game, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I got... Well, I, I, I'm a, well, I've had Apple TV for a long time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so uh, we got... Uh, at the beginning of, of lockdown, we signed up to um, Apple Arcade, which is basically the kind of games, I don't know, platform on Apple TV. Okay. And it's just because um, many because the games seem to be the right kind of games for my eight-year-old or now nine-year-old sort of uh, age group, mm-hmm. right? So um, my, my nine-year-old daughter loved to play those games. So they're kind of they're really the perfect games for her to play. And so they, you know, some of them are quite cute. Um, some of them are quite so, you know skillful, but they're not like you know um, they're not Call of Duty. Let's put it this way, right? right? So uh, so it seemed like the right the right fit. And uh, she enjoys some of the some of the games, but Worms is the one game I want to see on that. Now, just thinking about it, that would, that would fit perfectly. Oh, into nice! That. Yeah. Oh, you made me want to play it again now. The only thing I was thinking the other day, and I'm not I'm not really very big into um, computer games just generally, but I love playing Star Wars games. Mm-hmm. So uh, Battlefront, what is it? Battlefront Two or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the one I was I was thinking the other day. Like, yeah, that yeah. would be that'd be very cool. We're clearly both Star Wars fans. Well, yeah. How would how would you ever tell? Yeah. Hyper geeks, yes, uh, yeah. Incidentally, also we're very, very close to Pinewood Studios, uh, where we are here. So true. That is where Star Wars was filmed recently. Elstree Studios was the that was the first one, I think, mm-hmm. originally. Uh, that's also not far away. But yeah. uh, Pinewood is really just a stone's throw away. It's uh, yeah, it's probably a five minute, ten minute drive from yeah, here, absolutely. roughly. Yeah. yeah, so very, very close to the source. Do you know, I, um, weird, completely sidetracking. <laughs> Do you know, I was, uh, um, I had a gig at Pinewood Studios once. Oh, yeah, okay. Years ago now, years ago. And because they, they hire out particular areas, particular you know, uh, rooms for uh, weddings, and, mm. you know, those private type functions. And so I had a, I had a gig there and we took a little wander, you know, just before we started or mm. at half time, I, I forget now. And we just wandered into this room, started seeing all these uh, old kind of artifacts and whatnot, yeah. you know, props and things from films, you know, had the golden gun from Man with a Golden Gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Superman outfit, I think, was there as yeah. well. And a whole host of things like that. Yeah. Snapping a few photos and whatnot. Within about a minute, security arrived. Oh, no, really? Yeah, you're going to have to delete oh, those photos. Man. Oh, uh, no. Can you believe it? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's terrible. It's, I, I mean, I live on the other side of Pinewood Studios, so, um, so probably the same sort of distance, but on the other side. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what happens is um, a lot of people that work at Pinewood uh, go to my gym. And uh, I, you know, when I go to the gym, well, when I used to go to the gym when they were still open, um, I like, I like, you know, my kind of superhero t-shirt, if you know what I mean. And you wouldn't believe how many times I'd walk in with like an Avengers t-shirt or something. There'd be somebody, somebody in the gym going, hey. Were you in the movie? Were you in that production? <laughs> I worked in that too. And I'm like, really? Yeah, I'm a carpenter or whatever, you know, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's really, it's, it's, um, it's quite remarkable how many people around this area are, are kind of, you know, yeah. working at Pinewood or somehow linked to the movies, you know, to the movie industry. Well, I mean, everything was made there, right? And yeah. still is, you know, it's a massive area too. Yeah. It's, it's 
people don't realize how big Pinewood Studios is because yeah. it takes up a whole area of the parks that are around yeah. as well. Interesting enough, there uh, there used to be um, there's another place called Denham, which is not too far, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there used to be big uh, movie uh, studio lot there, which has recently in recent years been converted into luxury flats. Okay, but they they kept the whole kind of appeal. It's all like you know, it's like Stanley Rubik, uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick Road. And you know, all the, the, the roads are named after like famous directors and everything. I think the whole uh, the apartment complex has its own cinema, which I think is very cool. So, uh, yeah, slightly outside of my price range. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Would, I think it would be cool Yeah, to live around there. So, yeah. Do you know Pinewood also has a uh, cinema that you can go to and watch, oh, watch really? films that I they've been that. involved with and they screen them like you would just go to the regular cinema yeah. during release. It's also the last Star Wars film there. Oh really? Yeah, nice. And they they do. It's, it's the same room they do viewings for whichever whoever is part of the film. You know, show yeah. this is where we're at and that kind of thing. So you've yeah. got all the the Pro Tools desk in the the middle where they do the sound and oh, cool. all, all that kind of stuff. Very cool. Sounds amazing. Yeah, where I grew up in the south of Germany, there's um yeah, in the sort of the next the next town there's a uh, there's there's a, there's a famous um, film academy, mm-hmm. and what they do in the summer. In the south of Germany, the weather is usually good and it's kind of hot. Uh, but in the summer, they they do um, an outdoor cinema where they basically they have a little square in the in the middle of the whole complex, like a sort of cobble, you know, square, and they set out like garden chairs, mm-hmm. and then they project. Uh, as soon as the sun comes down, they project the movie onto like the wall of a building, and you just turn up, you know, you bring your own wine or whatever, and you just chill out, watch a movie. Awesome, cool, <laughs> yeah. You know, projected onto the side of a building. Yeah, nice, yeah, fun. It's fun. My, my band's toying with the idea of doing a uh, street concert. And, oh, really? uh, you know, yeah, it might happen, it might not, but yeah. we're seriously considering it. Um, yeah, just out, in a, out in the road so people can still you know, distance themselves while this is still all going yeah, on. But yeah, sure. I hope we'll have a bit of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, what were you talking about? <laughs> I can't oh, remember. iPhone. Oh, iPhone, yeah. yeah. And so. Um, uh yeah so some of the shots look great some don't look good to me at all um Mm. you know and perhaps they're edited in the way that they've been edited because you can't get the depth out of them that you actually want to get out of them yeah um so you you know you're shooting in raw you get what you're gonna get i'm guessing these were all jpegs they must have been um i don't think iphone pros can do raw Mm-hmm. Well, they can, they can. It depends on the app. Um, so you can you can shoot RAW on iPhone uh, when you shoot directly in Lightroom, for example. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Um, I have I have used that. Um, I just have to say that um, in terms of these RAW files, although they're RAW files, they're sort of somewhat more brittle than, let's say, you know, DNG yeah. files from from Nikon. So yeah. they don't really give you the the range um, that you would have on a DSLR, sure, um, or or you know, on a mirrorless camera, sure. so they're not quite. It, it, I mean, the, technically, they're raw files, but not quite as good. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but maybe it just gives you a little bit more flexibility. I think, especially if you're, you know, if you're shooting with your iPhone and you're shooting straight, straight in Lightroom, for example, and then you edit it in Lightroom, um, that can be an advantage. Mm. Although, for all, um, intensive and purposes, what I what I tend to do is I just shoot JPEG and then edit that in Lightroom on my phone. If it's like a you know quick on the go kind of edit, yep. it works perfectly fine. Yep. No problem at all. And the other thing, of course, that happens is when um, when you, when I transfer um, a photo from my uh, from my Nikon 
onto my phone, it actually transfers the, the JPEG. So uh, whatever I edit in Lightroom then will, will be mm. natively a JPEG anyway. Although I never shoot JPEGs on, you know, on, on my DSLR ever. Because, no. yeah, I don't really see what the point is. But, you know. No. So, yeah. I don't necessarily feel that shooting raw is always necessary. Um, you know, but, but I mean, most of the time you just have more flexibility when it comes to, um, you know, to editing. So, sure. but I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not in the camp of, you know, people who say like, you always have to shoot in raw because, you know, that's also yeah. not, yeah, it's not really necessary. For sure. No. Um, what else was there to mention about what they were doing in the iPhone now? Um, other than how they look, it's worth, you know, check them out and see what the photos actually yeah. look like. Um, I guess the only other, other thing yeah. worth mentioning is that they use the two times sort of optical zoom that it's got in there. I guess it's just one of the lenses. So yeah. I'm not sure, but because um, that's equivalent to uh, 52 mil, okay. it would be equivalent to a 52 mil lens, so to speak, yeah. um, uh, full frame. So that's that's why they used use okay. that because they're used to obviously that focal length when they're they're actually shooting on their DSLRs. Well, that's a good 50 mil is a good focal length, uh, obviously because 50 mil is um, generally thought to be the kind of focal length that best represents um what we as humans see so our sort of field of view um is uh, is approximately 50 mil mm. um so 50 mil is a really kind of a natural looking kind of focal range um it also i like 50 mil because it doesn't really distort very much so things tend to look very natural yeah you know when, when you use that especially like as a prime lens yeah um and you can pick up 50 mil prime lenses relatively cheaply. You know, um, Nikon and Canon do like 1.8 50 mil nifty fifties. You know, a few hundred quid. You're in with a, with a really good yeah prime lens. It's exactly what I used on last week's um, uh, selfie challenge. Oh, okay, I used my 50 on that. Oh. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it depends. Um, I like I like 50s um, for like one person, three quarter to full length portraits. I actually like. Uh, 50 mil for that mm-hmm. um anything closer than that i do prefer an 85 yeah yeah that's sort of uh that's sort of my go-to lens when it comes to that kind yeah, of portraiture yeah. and the other thing uh, that i find for instance when i do headshots is um i tend to start out with this sort of stereotypical 70 to 200 you know the mm-hmm. 180 to 200 mil range um so you have a long lens to get a very like a, a headshot essentially what it tends to do is it tends to compress the image mm-hmm. and it tends to kind of blow out the um uh the background really quite nicely so you get a really soft background um and then halfway through the session i switch over to the 85 and i guarantee you nine out of ten images that make it in the, into the final selection uh, will be done with the 85. that's interesting yeah it's uh, it's something i've noticed um over the last couple of years or something mm. that's definitely, definitely have you tried um for pure interest because you know you know as models relax for a shoot you know perhaps some of the later photos would be you know better shots in co- from compositional perspective anyway mm. um have you tried doing your lenses the other way around so starting on your 85 and moving to the... yeah it's not so much it's not so much the the model relaxing i mean it's fair to say that you know especially when you work with you know, regular people who are not necessarily used to being in front of the lens, you can probably say that, I mean, the first 60, 70 shots 
are just warm-up shots. Yeah. I don't expect to actually uh, have any of those in the final selection. It's just, you know, yeah. we're just going to go through a number of different things and people start to relax and you know, we're having a chat and um, and everything's groovy after that. And, um, and then you find your sort of your topics of conversation and everybody kind of eases up a little bit. Um, and that's when the best photos uh, you know, start mm. to happen. Mm. There are always exceptions because you might have a really good shot early on, but generally speaking, after about yeah, after about 60, 70 shots, that's when you kind of get to the, the meat of it, essentially. Mm. Um, I just don't... I think I just like the uh, the look of the 85 better. That's just something... That's just something... I don't know. It's just something different about it. Yeah. Just the way it... The effect that a focal length has on um, your facial features, maybe. Maybe that's, a, that's what it is. It'd be really interesting to do our own kind of test at some point, just on, you know, what an 85 looks like at you know 2.8 whatever all the settings yeah. are the same and you know seeing how 200 mil is different to uh, you know 18 mil whatever whatever it might Absolutely. be that'd be that'd be super easy to do yeah um yeah i mean it's, it's interesting as a portrait photographer um i sort of know what the effect is of, of different focal lengths um, and different lenses on mm-hmm. on the way um especially you know facial features are are displayed and um i say you you make a conscious decision sometimes depending on somebody's kind of head shape and, you know, um, how heavy they are and, you know, uh, what sort of body composition they have sort of thing. Um, you kind of, you know, you can, um, you can make somebody look more favorable with, you know, a particular kind of focal length, Mm. let's put it this Mm -hmm. way. So, um, and yeah, so, and I always, for my taste, and this is like really, I think, uh, Partially, this is where it comes down to your personal taste as a photographer. But for my taste, um, I just I tend to gravitate back to the eighty-five. And I know a lot of people um, like hundred millimeters um, as a, as a portrait lens, and I can see why. I mean, that's not going to be that's not that far off of an eighty-five, so I can kind of see that. Um, also, you know, the other thing I like is when you shoot with an eighty-five. By default, you're going to be much closer to your model. You know, so that's a that's a big thing. So with a two hundred. With a 70 to 200, because you're shooting, you have to shoot at, um, you know, anywhere between 120 and 200 mil to get that kind of compression effect. So you're, by default, you're going to be fairly far away from your model. So if you're shooting a headshot, you're probably a good, I don't know, like five meters away. Yeah. You know, and it makes communicating with that person yeah. much more difficult. That's what I find. Yeah. Um, you know, because you're literally almost like you're shouting across. And so that's why I like to start with a, uh with a 70 to 200 because by the time you're kind of warmed up um, you can then switch to the to the 85 and then you're going to be much closer to to the person that you're photographing and you've already built up that relationship so it's not as you know it's not going to feel as in your face mm. because you've already kind of gotten to know each other and you know you've had a chat already and and things are a little bit more relaxed so that's kind of why i do it that way around mm. um okay. and it's just fun that works well for me yeah you know that's really interesting but i'd, I'd love to do that test Oh yeah, for sure. It's yeah. be quite Definitely interesting to do and just really see how the drop off and particularly you know how um, you know uh, eighty five mm prime versus setting your telephoto to eighty five. If there's actually any difference in how they look as well, um, same brand. I bet there's some difference there, but you know whether it's that noticeable, we'll see. Well, I think um, what I find, for instance, um, just if I compare the seventy to two hundred and my eighty five prime, um, uh, if I shoot the the 70 to 200, which is a zoom lens, obviously, if I set that to 85 mil and I compare it directly to just my 85 prime lens, 
um, I can see a, a marked difference mm-hmm. in the sharpness and the clarity of the mm-hmm. image. And that's, I put that down to the fact that um, that in a zoom lens, you have a, a, you have a lot more um, glass elements in there. So yeah. the light has to travel through these um, through these glass uh, elements, and uh, the barrel shifts inside and everything else. So uh, in a prime lens, that's it's like it's a much simpler lens in many ways, and so you know the light doesn't have to travel through so many uh, glass yeah. elements, and therefore that's why prime lenses are so much sharper generally. You know, and they're so much more like they have more just they have more of a kick. Mm-hmm. That's how I would describe it. It's like the images pop more, mm-hmm. um, and that's why a lot of photographers you know swear by them. Um, I know a lot of photographers who, uh, especially, I mean, when we were talking to Abu Shah last time, I remember, um, you know, he told us that he is a, a prime lens wedding shooter. And I've heard that That's many right. times. Um, and I can see, I can see the reasoning behind that. Um, and I just, you know, because I remember I was talking to him and I was thinking how I approach an event, like when I shoot a conference, for example. And I like to have, I shoot a lot with um, a 24 to 70. Um, and then I also use the, the 7200 quite a lot. Um, and I like the fact that I have the ability to zoom because, because in a conference, especially when you're photographing, you know, a keynote speaker and then mm. you get shots of the, uh, of the audience, you're not as flexible in, in how you can move. You're very limited mm-hmm. in how close you can get and the angles that you can get because of, you know, you have seating in the middle and you have a keynote speaker who is uh, in one particular place usually. Um, so you need to be able to zoom in, especially if you want to get um, some detail, kind of close-up kind of shots, because yeah. you just can't get yeah. close enough to your subject uh, under those conditions. So I think, you know, the, the pros and cons. A wedding, I'm guessing, is very different because you have more of a, more of a chance to get close to the bride. And, you know, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can see it totally. I can see the point. Yeah. In actual fact, when I first started um, in photography... I had this thing in my head that I was only going to shoot prime lenses. Really? Yeah. What changed? Why? Just flexibility? No, I mean, I think um, when I first, I remember when I first got my first camera with a kit lens, um, that kit lens wasn't particularly good. No. And when I then upgraded to a Nifty 50, um, the difference was remarkable. And I kind of thought, why would anybody bother with a zoom lens? Like, like the diff- it's such a massive difference. Um, and so I shot the 50 mil for a good few years couple of years or something um and then then i started shooting yeah and I, and I shot my first concert just with a 50 mil prime lens um and uh, just doing that i realized that actually you know having having the ability to change your focal length and to zoom in and out mm. in a concert situation is actually really useful mm-hmm. because again uh you're limited in where you can be when you shoot a band you can be in front of the stage you can be inside of the stage uh, but you can't exactly really walk on to, you know, onto the stage. Um, and so if you want to get some really, you know, cool close-up shots, you need to get closer. Yeah. So, um, and of course, people move all the time, lights change, you know, you've got an audience there pushing in or whatever. Um, so it's a lot more, you know, it's a lot more useful to, uh, to have the ability to zoom. Um, but under those conditions you know, your regular kit lens isn't going to hold up. So that's the point. I mean, that, that was the point for me where, you know, I started thinking, well, okay, you know, if I want to take this anywhere, I'm going to have to invest into some pro glass. Yeah. And that's really, you know, that's how I ended up um, getting into sort of the holy trinity of, you know, of pro glass mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then these are like these are real workhorses for me. Like these lenses are, I think we talked about um, Pro Glass in the past, but um, you know those lenses are they're indestructible. You, you can literally go to war with them. You know you have a tank run over them, they're still going to be fine. Um, they are solid, solid producers of good imagery. Mm. You know, mm. um, and and so they've just they're just really practical pieces of kit. I think, um, you know, that's not to say that I wouldn't be happy with a, you know, assorted range of superb prime glass. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, we should definitely do a, a comparison. That'd be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I'm sure we've got enough between us to uh, <laughs> test a few things. Yeah, out. yeah, sure. I mean, we should do like, you know, something like 35, 50, 8500 or 105 or something like that. Huh. You know they'll, they'll do it and then compare it to um to the equivalent in you know in zoom lenses yeah. essentially and you know see see what the result will be consider it done oh awesome. consider it done. next project so um what else have you uh come across this week anything in particular so ken announced the r5 and the r6 mm-hmm. and uh, although uh, some of the r6 specs are kind of not 100 percent certain like mm-hmm. there's a lot of rumor okay uh, going around but i think uh, we're getting to the point where you know we pretty much know what range uh, these specs are going to fall in, um, and as always with Canon, I found the way that they uh, that they equip their camera models really quite interesting because sometimes I just don't necessarily follow the logic. Um, they're no, both really good uh, cameras, by the way. Um, I mean, just one thing I noticed: it's like you know, this isn't like you know some years ago where. You could definitely say, like, you know, this is a like a, I don't know, a semi-pro model or an amateur camera or, or something like that, and that's a definite pro camera. Both of these cameras are phenomenal cameras, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I really do think, um, and I know a lot of people agree that there isn't really a bad camera around these days. Sure. So the R five that was an, when that was announced, you know, that was quite this sort of game changer because that was announced with like eight K video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, 4K up to 120 frames per second. That is, you know, outstanding, really. Uh, but 8K video, um, that seems like total mega monster overkill. Yeah. And now um, yeah, we talked about this before. You know, why would you shoot in, in 8K? Like, why would you? Well, editing reasons only, really, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, anyway. You know, so you can zoom in by 50% and still get 4K yeah. out of it. But like 8K when the file sizes must be like astronomical, right? Yet to use it. So, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's disgraceful. Yeah, because I mean, that's, you know, that's, because that's always the thing, like, you know, 8K sounds good until you think like, oh, now I've got to replace my computer because uh, my processing power isn't up to it and I need to buy more hard drive space because, um, you know, the files are so large. And then you think that that's the cost side and you think of, you think of the benefits side and you're kind of like, what, what am I getting for it? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I can zoom in. Right. Okay. And then, of course, the question is whether that's worth it, you know, or not. Hopefully, by the time that 8K is really relevant and, you know, everywhere can, you know, play back 8K and in in full 8K, that um, the cost of everything else would have come down. (laughs) Yeah, we see. (laughs) But we'll see. You know, how long ago did 4K come out and and still we consumed the majority of content in 1080? Oh, I know. And 4K is available years. Yeah, years. I can't even tell you right now. Exactly. That's how, you know, that's the thing. So um, I can just imagine it's going to take like a decade until we're all 
happily watching yeah. okay yeah and i also wonder like how much resolution is really necessary when you watch something let's say on tv for example because i always feel like when i watch something on a 4k television that is very detailed mm-hmm. and sometimes i see more than i want to see yeah that's true especially when it comes to tv programs i would say it's like you yeah. look at any kind of go yeah i thought she yeah looked better than that you know you can see like the makeup and you know what i mean absolutely do you know when i th- I, I know exactly when i first noticed that as well but mm. like properly because there's a particular point in the big bang theory where they switched from filming in 1080 oh really okay um to 4k or they filmed in 4k and where their final output was in 1080 oh. ready for streaming I see. um or they've then they've then switched to their output being in 4k as well which mm. kind of i think probably makes most sense uh, and there's a there's a distinct difference in how they look and it is horrible oh right okay i hate it. i can barely can barely watch it yeah um because it looks hyper real yeah. You know, we've used that phrase a, a lot for various things, and it does look hyper real, and I don't like mm. looking at it. I don't really like watching sports in in 4K. That's what I've noticed is that um, you know when you have the when you watch, uh, let's say, a football uh, match or something. Not that I watch a lot of football, but you know, um, on the rare occasion that I see a football match on TV in 4K, especially on like a massive TV, uh, where you kind of feel like almost like you're on the pitch. Yeah, but it all looks really un unreal yeah it's yeah. very rare that i see a match in 4k i think you know bt sport will do a four, there's a good 4k channel and yeah yeah is that true 4k coming through hmm. who knows um yeah. but yeah i i will still use it if it's on mm. rather than the regular hd version right. because just you just do right yeah sure but yeah it's also hyper real and i'm, I'm not all that keen on it yeah you know it's a big difference i, I still think there's a big difference between seeing a a film style video in 4k mm. and television in 4k yeah. you expect television to look a certain way mm. and this might be a bit of adapt you know us getting used to things and adapting sure. over the next few years but and i'm sure we will yeah. um, but right now it doesn't work for me personally. see you know i'm old enough to remember uh when you know video meant like videotapes you know, yeah. VHS. Yeah. And then I remember the um, that switch over to DVD. And I remember, and that's only like 720, really, isn't it? So um, I remember that switch over to um, to DVD and thinking, oh my God, yeah. that looks amazing, right? Incredible. Now, I watch a movie on DVD and I immediately go, that looks terrible, man. I can't watch DVDs it's, anymore. It's just like the resolution is terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in comparison to the same movie, um, in 1080 yeah you know so so i haven't made that step to 4k in my head no you know? it's because i really feel that it's gone past to looking better but i mean for me it's gone past looking better it just looks weird yeah. and this yeah you know there's this too much detail yeah for me yeah um so yeah so so 8k videos there might be some good reason as to why you'd want to use that there's some benefit you know if i was wearing that yeah. would i actually shoot in 8k for a short while for fun i think yeah. more than anything else to see yeah. what it can do um really stretch it yeah. would i regularly shoot in that no i don't yeah. think i would if i'm honest yeah so i mean you know the the r5 anyway it gives you the option of shooting 8k yep. video on it which is cool and the 4k up to um 
120, so it's this 120 uh, frames per second. The great advantage there is is that you have you know, you can shoot some really detailed slow mo. That's super that. interesting to me. So that is because technically, you know, normally what would have happened, or what would have happened so far is that even if you had a camera that managed to shoot in 4K, it wouldn't allow you to shoot at those frame rates. So typically, what would happen is like let's say. Um, your camera shoots in 4K at 24 frames per second, which is a standard frame rate, or maybe up to 30 frames per second. But um, 120 frames per second, that would basically then, it would then downscale to like 1080. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. Um, and so if you wanted to include a lot of really nice, really smooth slow-mo in your video, then you would by default have to really do everything in 1080. Or at least shoot, in four, shoot the rest of it in 4K and then downsample mm-hmm. it in 1080 which there's also an advantage to that. But anyway, so the, the R5 allows you to do 4K up to, up to 120. Great. It shoots at, at 20 frames per second with the electronic shutter and 12 frames per second with the mechanical shutter, which I think is actually cool. You know, if you're um, if you're a sports shooter, for example, 20 frames. Brilliant. Yeah. Awesome. Right? Great. Or like wildlife, you know, shoot yeah. like birds flying in midair or something. Sounds good. Um but it also, I mean, this is where it gets really interesting for um, for videographers is that it has full in-body stabilization. Mm. So you marry that up with the 4K um, 120 and full-body stabilization, you can get some super smooth uh, B-roll going on there, like slow-mo. So the next thing um, that really caught my attention was the eternal argument about card slots. <laughs> so... When Canon and Nikon came up with their first first generation of mirrorless um, cameras, uh, they were heavily criticized for the fact that they only had one card slot. Yeah. So now, the R5 and the R6 are both going to have two card slots to put everyone else a piece. Yeah, right? finally. That's it. You know, trust can be reinstated. You know, the heavens have listened, whatever. <laughs> I mean... Um, the whole thing about card slots, I think we touched about this last week. Uh, we, t- we touched um, on this last week. Um, you know, it's one of these things. I can understand the argument. Like when you're used to having two card slots and you're used to having that sort of safety net, you know, um, then why would you give that up? Yeah. You know, I totally get it. The reality is, and this is like the, the eternal argument, that not too long ago, all cameras used to have one card slot. Yeah. In fact, not too long before that, all cameras had one roll of film. So the R5 has two card slots, right? One of them is the CF Express uh, card slot. Yeah. And, uh, and the other one is just, you know, it's an SD card slot, essentially. Um, I bet you that if you want to, you know, shoot 8K video, that definitely, I guarantee you, that's going to go straight to the, the CF Express. No question. Card. The problem with CF Express is uh, it's just really expensive. Yeah. You know, so you're going to spend... Um, another couple of hundred pounds or something on memory cards on top of, yeah, well, that is exactly it. On top of, on top of the camera. So th- that camera is um, going to be around the sort of three and a half thousand pound mark, right? Then throw in another couple of hundred pounds for CF Express cards. Yeah, three, seven. Ka-ching. Ka-ching, yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not cheap, um, but it's a 44 megapixel camera. Oh, okay. So high resolution can come in handy. Um, and, you know, the other question there is whether, you know, whether you really need 
a 44 megapixel camera. Again, I mean, this is a little bit like the, you know, the dual cost slot argument. Um, on one hand, you would say, well, great, the more resolution, the better. Um, on the other hand, you know, I heard somebody say the other day, like nobody needs that kind of resolution because nobody actually has that kind of resolution. So I think as a portrait photographer, you know, or doing portraits in studio, for example, um, I think, you know, that extra resolution can give you a, a hell of a lot of detail. Mm. So that could actually be really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you can crop in more, not too dissimilar to video. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I think as a portrait photographer could come in handy. I think as a wedding photographer could come in handy or as an event photographer, because again, you can kind of crop in and you can, you know, you can uh, really sort of hone in on particular parts of your image, especially with events and with weddings. I think that could, that could potentially be really useful. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can see that working. As a sports photographer, that's not going to work for you because um, you're just not going to be able to, uh, well, or does it? I don't know. I don't know. What do you people think? You can always send us an email or call in um, and let us know what you think. If you're shooting sports, how do you feel about uh, 44 megapixels or even 50 or 60 megapixel cameras? Um, does that make sense to you or not? I'd be interested to know. So get in touch. So now the R6 mm -hmm. is the other um, new model that uh, that uh, Canon have announced. I'm um, assuming that the specs are going to be even higher because it's an R6. Well, that's what I thought, but it's not really the case. Of course not. <laughs> so this is where... Why I, would it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is where I get confused with Canon. Um, I, I really do. I just don't really, don't really get it. But anyway, um, again, if anybody can enlighten me um, when it comes to like... Uh, Canon models and uh, it's just I don't know, it's beyond me. Anyway, um, so the R6 though is still a really interesting camera because so just bear in mind the R6 comes in at three and a half grand. The R6, so the R5 comes in at three and a half grand. The R6 comes in at a thousand pounds less than that. That's a significant difference. Yes, a significant difference. However, get this. So. So the video specs are still really interesting, I think, because although it doesn't give you the 8K, it shoots in 4K. However, that's really, it actually shoots in 5K oversampled. Okay. So that means you shoot in 5K, the end result is going to be in 4K, but because you're shooting in a higher resolution, you get more sharpness and you know probably richer colors or whatever. So it'll look better than just shooting in 4K. Mm -hmm. That is, as I understand it, similar to shooting in 4K and then basically delivering in 1080. Isn't that right? I mean, that's... Well, I, it, it, the idea, I guess, is the same. Whether the, the quality difference is, you know, the difference between shooting in 1080 and then shooting in 4K down sample to 1080, mm. there's a, you know, a quality difference of X. Yeah. I doubt that same quality difference will be there when you're just shooting in 5 down to 4. Right. It seems hard to believe, but there will mm. be an extra level of detail okay. for sure. Cool. I mean, so that basically gives you a better image than than it would ordinarily be. In theory, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's that said, though, hmm. not all 4K looks the same either. Yeah. You know, it's uh, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'd like to see see the quality yeah. before I really judge. <laughs> but I mean, still, you know, 4K video up to um, or 5K video, if you want, up to uh, 60 frames per second. So that's still not bad. You're still getting, I mean, I guess 120, it's probably going to be 120 frames per second in 1080. That's sort of what we're kind of used to these days. Mm. Um, in terms of frame rates, it's the same. Um, it still shoots 
20 frames per second uh, with the electronic shutter and uh, 12 frames per second with the mechanical shutter. That's pretty lightning fast. Mm, yeah. So that's something pretty good. And it, it also has full body stabilization or full in, in body stabilization. Um, again, very cool for, you know, smooth um, video shots. The R5's got that as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now the R6 comes with, with two SD card slots. So that kind of immediately makes it attractive to me, I think. Um because it means you can just keep using your already existing SD cards. So that's kind of cool. You don't have to spend any extra money on um, on CFX cards. Because really, when you do the price comparison, you get to factor that in. So really, we're not talking three and a half grand versus two and a half grand. We're really talking three seven versus two and a half grand, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, with, so, so far, I'm hearing overall, it's going to be about 1,200 pounds cheaper and all i've lost so far is the ability to shoot in 8k so instead i shoot in 5 5k yeah that's the only real difference i'm hearing so far yeah so so far but there's a couple more okay differences so one of the things with the um, with the r6 is that it loses the the top down display so Mm -hmm. you know when you the little lcd display when you look down uh, on your camera uh, you've got all the settings in there so i think the question there is whether you can live without that or not um, and I remember when I first went into full frame and, you know, my, when I got my first camera that had a, sort of a top display and I really liked it and I started using it a lot and I don't really know that I use it that much. I mean, I still, I mean, obviously use it, but I'm not too sure whether that would be a deal breaker for me. I don't think it would be for me. I've got so used to shooting on the, the GH5. Yeah. Um, that doesn't have a top-down display. Oh, really? Okay. And so it's, I'm used to I, shooting video. I'm always going to have the back screen on. Oh, that's right. Okay. But if I'm using doing photos, I, I won't use. Occasionally, I use the back screen, but very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I still shoot through the um, the EVF and mm-hmm. all the information I need's in there. Well, know? talking about the EVF, actually, this is the one thing I found uh, really remarkable about the R6 is that it's actually the the RVF. That's got a, a five million dot. EVF, and from what I've read, is supposed to be super beautiful. Really? Yeah, it's it's supposed to be like super high res, like super awesome, top of the range kind of EVF. At that price point, I think that could swing me that way. That's cool. And yeah. the R five doesn't have that. Um, I don't know is the answer. To okay. That. Um, okay. I would have guessed that probably. I, I don't really see a reason why I wouldn't use the same EVF. No. Yeah, especially because you've got well, okay, and this is here we come to one of the major differences between those two models. Um so remember the R five comes in at forty four megapixels. Mm-hmm. So it kind of you know, you kinda of think, yeah, if you you know, you want a really high resolution EVF if you're shooting in that resolution, right? No brainer. So the R six and Canon hasn't really released the actual information about this. But it sounds like it's going to be around the 20 megapixel mark. That's a massive difference. Yep. So that's, that is, like so far, I read down the, the specs, the spec list of the R6 and thinking, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. Oh, great. Awesome. Da, 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 da. And then I get to the 20 megapixel. It feels like this is, this feels far more, right. So both are clearly geared, geared towards video as well. Yeah. This feels now the the smaller sensor that 
it is video. <laughs> it's a, it's less less. Um, it's got less appeal for a photographer now, I guess. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's that's not exclusively. There's nothing wrong. With 20, meg, 20, 20 megapixel mm. sensor, but I think people got so used to having a larger sensor than that for photography that suddenly that's. Mm. I mean, I think you know. It, as my main studio camera um, shoots at 24 or 25 mm-hmm. megapixels. And that is, for all intents and purposes, that's really all I need. Um, I've never really thought, oh, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a higher resolution sensor or something like yeah. that. That's until you try out a camera that is in the 30, 40, 50 megapixel range. And you really then start to see the difference, you know, especially if you're working on like a high resolution monitor or something like that, mm-hmm. you can really, you know, that's, it does make a big difference. Um, so if I were, you know, if I were thinking about replacing my current camera, I'd be in the market for something that's slightly higher in resolution. You know, I would definitely, you know, 30 megapixels. Yeah, I would, you know, not have a problem with that. 44 is probably that would probably be sort of the limit for me yeah the kind of balance between you know file size and um and usability you know um but going backwards to 20 i'm not that's not really you know i'm not i don't think i'd be up for that right so that's um that is quite disappointing and 20 megapixels is Again, Canon haven't really released the final answer to that. So it could very well be that it's somewhere in the 20 to 26 megapixel range. If it came in at 26, yeah. Great. Yeah. It's it's an odd one if it does come in. It's, well, when do, do we know when we're expecting Not them yet. to come um, no. I'm guessing probably within the next, I don't know. I'm totally guessing now, but I'm thinking probably within the next month or so. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, so many, so many specs have been... Have come out already, and it's just you know, I yeah. think it's only it's a matter of weeks probably until they realize it's it's like getting the iPhone 12 specs being rumored phrased. Oh, speaking of which, relevant to what you just said, um, apparently, a new iPhone 12 is going to have 4K 120. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, like native, you know, yeah. no, it's gonna yeah. be that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I said this last time, I'm really surprised when it comes to the way video looks on the uh on the iPhone 11 Pro. Mm. Um I've seen I've seen a number of YouTubers using that as their main camera and I've been really surprised um how good that looks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a real that could potentially be a real game changer. If you think about what what happens, you know, when you're shooting video for YouTube for example, you know, you got to go through the whole kerfuffle of, you know, setting, setting up a camera. You know, usually you need a DSLR or, or a mirrorless um, camera. Um, if you don't have a flip screen, you need an extra screen. You need you need a microphone, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's a lot of kerfuffle for, uh, you know, just to uh, just to record a video that, that looks mm-hmm. really high quality. And what I've seen from the iPhone um, 11 Pro, it looks great. For, I mean, for that kind of application, we're not, I'm not, we're not talking about um, shooting like movies or anything, but no, you know, so yeah, that could come in handy. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. Mm. Yeah, no, slight sidetrack there. Yeah. So the R5, R6, mm, I don't know. Um, you know, part of me says, let's just assume it has got a 20 megapixel uh, sensor right now. I My GH5 has a, is 20, GH5S. Mm. I'm pretty sure it's 20. Um, and I struggle at times with photos on it. Mm. Um, I don't quite get the detail in it that I want. I can't quite blow it up to the level that I want to blow it up to, but good enough given mm. that I primarily use it for video. Um, the I'd be tempted by the R6 mm. over the R5 given the huge price difference. Mm. I don't, I'm not all that interested in 8K at the minute, I have mm. to say. Um, 4K is plenty and will mm. be for the length of time that I would have this new camera body for, you know, mm. uh, then I might consider, oh, 8K may now be useful, you know, in the f- several years. Yeah. Until then, I, I don't need it. Because I remember not too long ago, we had this conversation about, because you, you were saying you were kind of starting to think about maybe changing system, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're discussing, you know, where to go from Panasonic. Yeah. You know, um, so do you think like, with uh, with the R6, would that be a camera you would consider if you were to change systems? I'm not sure that I would at the moment, if I'm honest, because I'm not getting much more right now. Everything you've really described about mm. the R6, give or take, is pretty much what the GH5S has. Oh, yeah, okay. Similar megapixel size. Um, the, the quality, you know, the 4K quality on that is fantastic. Mm. Yes, the R6 might be, a, you know, not sharper, given that it's doing it in 5K and down. Mm. Um, that's not a re- reason enough to change for me. Um, the EVF is a nice, nice touch. Um, but I don't have an issue with the EVF on mine right now. It's yeah. great. It's really cool. I mean, the one thing I haven't really mentioned is the autofocus. Um, <laughs> yeah. <all right. laughs> so, you know, let's, let's just assume for a second, I'm sure there's going to be an improvement on the, um, this dual pixel autofocus, whatever, or, you know, I detect or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Compared to the previous model, compared to the RP, but even by the way, even the RP comes in at thirty megapixels. So I'm like that. I'm still kind of questioning that whole twenty, yeah, megapixel scenario. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe, you know, hopefully it's wrong. Or actually, there's an incredibly good reason why they've they've gone for that, and it better not just be price. Well, I mean, it may be price. You know, maybe that's you know that's that's the kind of money you can save by putting a lower res sensor in there. I don't know. You know, yeah. Maybe the reason, um, but yeah. So even if the R six came equipped with, you know, the the, the sort of standard Canon um, dual pixel autofocus, which we know is really really great. Okay, so would that would that sway you towards Canon? Or? Not for the price right now. So just to give you a price comparison, the body for the GH five S is or was at least in the fifteen hundred pounds range. Okay. Um, yes, it's micro four thirds, mm. and obviously the 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 R R six is um, uh, full frame. Mm. Uh, so to have what was it? Uh, that'd be a thousand pounds more yeah, for a new body. Two and a half grand. Just to get slightly better focusing, um, or significantly better focusing, mm. <laughs> and not a lot else, and then have to change lenses and all of that it doesn't feel worth it for me at the moment. Yeah. I, I, need, I think I need a bit more to warrant making that making yeah. that jump. Yeah, just, because um, 
I mean, to to be fair, the we shoot all of this on a on a GH5 or GH5s, um, and you know, I have to say, I mean, I, I really can't fault that image. It looks yes, it looks really good. So, you know, it's always. I think this is is this thing where all of a sudden incremental improvements in image quality or something really start to become really expensive. Yeah, you know, just. And then the question is, you know, how good is good enough? Yeah. You know, so, that's right. and, uh, you know, and that's going to hit you with, like, if you compare the GH5 um, to the R6, you know, that's a thousand pounds. Yeah. You know. Plus God knows what on lenses. Well, yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. If you're already a Canon shooter, however, Different okay, story. maybe it's worth, worth considering. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So anyway, interesting, interesting offering there, Canon. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, I, I can't wait to see the final specs for the six. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be very interesting to follow yeah. that. So, I don't know if you read about uh, this guy called Ruben Pile. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Mm. He lives in Mauritius, and apparently, Google have never been there to do their street view. Oh, really? Like that, which is bizarre. I'm pretty sure they've covered every inch <laughs> of this planet. So, like the, the white, the white bit on the map, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so he, um, 18 months ago he decided that, okay, well, if Google aren't going to come here, mm-hmm. I'm going to basically do it for them. And so he spent the last 18 months doing, uh, taking high-res photos um, with his drone. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it's the same drone you own. Um, was it Yeah, pretty right. sure it was. Nice. And he was taking, he's taking high-res photos with that drone of the entire coastline of Mauritius. So as we all know, of course, Mauritius has a coastline of about 110 miles. <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Very impressive. Yeah, I didn't just look that up. No. Anyway. Oh, no. Not at all. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, it's, you know, it's, as islands go, it's pretty small. But yeah. to go around and in various spots take multiple um, photos in his, every spot had a 360 photo. Oh, so really? Effectively. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, so he took multiple photos in that spot. And then what he's done is he's gone back, he's edited them, stitched them together to create a 360 um, wow, okay. photo, effectively. And each photo took about 10 hours, I think he said, couldn't to he have, edit and stitch. Couldn't he have just flown the drone like really high and then take a, like one top-down picture of the island? Maybe. That, that would have been so much easier. Yeah, Nobody told him that. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. Damn it! <laughs> Could have been so easy. It would have been amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> but it's quite something to do that. Can you imagine doing that? And 10, 10 hours of editing. So he did that because Google never did any street view yeah. photography on the island itself. Yep. And then he just thought I'll just, I'll yeah. just do it myself. Give himself a project. Oh, okay. You know, which is which is cool. And, you know, doing over 18 months, you know, with yeah. that amount of editing time, you know, the, the 10 hours or so for each one, yeah. that's significant wow. project to take on. There's more, though. Right. So he needed a way to show people this. And so he built himself a website, too. Mm-hmm. And he's never built a website before. But what he's built is really cool because you can, you know, click on a location on the map and it will take you down to that you know, that photo, mm. and you can move yourself around. Um, you can see the other photo locations within that photo as well. So you can just click ahead, a bit like on Google Street View, where you can you know, click ahead down the road and it takes you mm. takes you down to that those pictures there. 
And so he did that as well. So not having ever done that before, he was also doing kind of 20-hour website building sessions too. Right. This is commitment, yeah, <laughs> if yeah. ever I've heard it. And the website's great. But here's the thing, though. Mauritius is mainly beach, isn't it? Uh, let's go with yes. So, uh, <laughs> so it's basically 110 miles of beach. Yeah. So he could have just taken one or two photos and then just stitched them together and because same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, how ignorant. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of cool. So, um, so has Google integrated that into their own? No, no. You or? just have. You can just go to his website right. to check it out. And I think part of his idea is that um, you know perhaps it will help bring in a bit of tourism and and whatnot and who knows well it's a I mean, nice thing to be able to see i might just do that you know i might, I might just check out that website given that we're not going on holiday this absolutely. summer absolutely so the website to actually check it out on is rubesvision.mu r-e-u-b-s vision.mu cool it's really cool man yeah worth checking Great. out awesome I might do the same thing um of brickmansworth oh, oh that'll be, uh... <laughs> fly the drone yeah Maybe not. That might <laughs> get me into trouble, I think. Definitely. Cool. Okay, so I guess the last thing we're going to uh, just mention one more time is the uh, the monthly photo challenge. Mm-hmm. It's animals and pets this time. So um, if you are an avid uh, animal photographer or you've taken some really awesome shots of your pet or any other animal for that matter, then uh, just get in touch. You know, send us, uh, send us your photos in. Um, the email address is camerashakepodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can um, you can message us on Facebook, same sort of deal, facebook.com forward slash camera shake podcast. Just get in touch and um, and we'll have a look through the shots. Uh, we've mentioned it before, the winning photo or the photographer, the maker of the winning photo um, will hopefully be with us on the podcast um, once we've announced the winner. So that should be really cool. Uh, be interesting to talk to whoever wins. And um, yeah, so that's our new monthly photo challenge. Uh, with we're going to be doing this every month, and we're going to think of a, a new topic or new subject every month. So I don't know what the what next month's challenge is going to be all about, but we're going to announce that next week. So now we're still, of course, going to continue with our weekly photo challenge. Indeed. And since this is the week of togetherness, um, we've decided to uh, to change things around a little bit. Because what are we going to do this week? Nick? Well, this time we're going to look at trying to do a um, a joint photo, mm. and what we mean by that is um, you're going to be well. See, we talk about togetherness with this, but actually we're going to be apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, so the idea here will be that um, Kirsten will direct me from uh, from his home, mm. and I will take the photo from my home. You know, we'll chat over the phone, over Zoom and um, whatever we need to do to communicate. But Kirsten will be able to control my camera um, or see the live view of my camera. Mm. I'll adjust the settings I need to. And he'll also control what I do in that photo, whatever the topic will end up being, Mm. Um, you know, from lighting to composition. And we're going to try and do it completely remotely and see what we end up with. We may or may not. Even go through the editing process remotely as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. That'll be that might be a bit harder, yeah. but we'll see. Yeah, that should be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge. Yeah, um, and who knows, you know, if uh, if we are, you know, in it for a second wave, 
all of this might come in, come in handy. Absolutely. You know, was, Absolutely. Yeah. I've never done anything like that before. Um, mm. You know, it, we who knows what hurdles we're going to run into? Um, probably many. But then also, we've never done a podcast before. Um, this, you know, the first wave hit. So, so uh, you know, you never stop learning, I guess. This <laughs> is true. It's just <laughs> another challenge. Yeah, and we've learned plenty today as yeah. well. That's why, it's, that's why it's a challenge. Yeah. How not to put a mirror up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just watch the outtakes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it for today. Um, you've been listening and hopefully viewing uh, the Camera Shake podcast, episode 10, um, here on uh, on the podcast. Or if you're viewing it, of course, we're on YouTube. So um, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, then uh, you know head over to YouTube so you can not only hear our super smooth voices, but you can also see us in full and glorious Technicolor. Um, if you feel so inclined, please subscribe or follow us on whatever platform you like. Uh, we're on Facebook. Come and join us there. Um, there's always stuff going on. So if you want to have a look behind the scenes, then uh, you can join us on the Book of Face. Until next time, without further ado, see you next week, see every you. Thursday. <laughs>